Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me on the phone right now, who's this? It's a Tiff Myers. What, does, did someone else call in? I'm so confused right now. No, no, it's just you. <laughs> yeah, we're getting, um, getting hundreds of calls already. I've lost all credibility already. It's still weird recording this way, but we're doing it. We're still cranking out the con. That's short for content. Saves me time when I talk. <laughs> How is, how's it going? How's, uh, how's being locked down treating you? Oh, man, my girlfriend's place. So it's, it's weird because it's the longest we've spent together. And we have yet to fist fight, so it's nice. Just like slap boxing and stuff, not it hasn't <laughs> escalated to fist fights. No, like she has yet to be annoyed with me, which is fucking astounding. Like I'm just, I've been bothering the fuck out of her. <laughs> yeah, I imagine a lot of people are bothering the shit out of each other right now. Didn't divorce rates have spiked in China because of this? Yeah, I heard that, <laughs> which uh, makes sense. I didn't. I, I, I guess I don't know what divorce laws are like in China. Is it? that easy I, I bet it's easier than usual who knows i feel like it's gotta be super easy at least on the dude's side fucking godless communists <laughs> don't value the institution of marriage at all <laughs> usa we're today we're doing part two of our episodes about the assassination of malcolm x last week we talked about the official version of events mm-hmm. and this week we're going to talk about the conspiracy theory version, which isn't a whole lot different. It's just that the wrong people probably went to jail. Yes. And who orchestrated it, really, I feel like. Yeah. And I feel like we still don't 100% know the answer to that, even though there's a six-part documentary. Like, there's some suggestion as to who orchestrated it, but it feels like there's still more to it than what we've heard so far yeah absolutely like it's fucking it's fucking weird it's weird but it's also like kind of in terms of evidence and like who probably did it it's like a layup in terms of conspiracies oh yeah and that i think that has to do with the fact that malcolm x and elijah muhammad and the nation of islam in general were so heavily surveilled by (laughs) the fbi and so many government agencies that once all that stuff became declassified, we just had like hours and hours and like not even hours, just like years worth of recordings and reports about the assassination of Malcolm X. And it's sketchy. Oh, absolutely. Most of what we're talking about today comes from a documentary that's on Netflix right now called Who Killed Malcolm X? It's a six part documentary. I think it actually needs to be six episodes, which is rare. A lot of documentaries are coming out now, and they're a whole series. And it's like, yeah, this could have been like two and a half hours long, and we would have been fine. I think this one could have been shortened into five? Yeah, maybe. Like, there's just a lot of like conjecture and stuff that I was like, you could, have, you could have condensed this a little bit, but I get why they didn't. So I totally understand it. Like, I'm not mad at it. Yeah, the thing about Malcolm X, his, he's just not... His story isn't as well known in this 
countries. So I didn't mind, like there was a lot of uh, biography type stuff, Yeah, which in a lot of cases I would have rather have been skipped. But I, I feel like uh, it's it's kind of just a good primer on who Malcolm X was in general. Hmm. The documentary centers around the work of a guy named Abdur Rahman Muhammad, who is a DC tour guide, basically, yeah. by trade. And he, as it turns out, has been investigating the death of Malcolm X for about 30 years now. Also, I think it's fair to say that Malcolm X completely inspired this guy to like convert to Islam and like change his name. Right. Which is a huge factor. He was like, when he was like 14 or so, he discovered Malcolm X and was like, oh, I'm Muslim now. Like, this guy speaks to me. Yeah, he's, he seems like a good dude. And it seems like his interest in this is purely motivated by justice and wanting the real killers of Malcolm X to face punishment for it, which, spoiler, never going to happen. <laughs> no. Also, another spoiler... He finds all the information way too easily. <laughs> yeah, it's just out there. It's just in boxes. It's like in a basement or like a library. Like it's the easiest find. Yeah, and it it always kills me when like even in this show at one point they interview a guy and his title is official FBI historian and he's like, "Yeah, we were just really cracking down on the civil rights back then." It's like, are you proud of this? What is happening right now? Also, it's like, it's fucking, it's mind blowing how many of these people were like still alive. Like they had like the lead detective from that, like just still alive. More spoilers. I'm sorry. I'm going off the rails. Yeah. One of the, one of the people who were, who was convicted of this is out of prison now and he's in his eighties and that guy looks fucking great. He looks so good. He looks like he is like at one point the we're we're jumping ahead, but in the documentary, they're interviewing this guy and he's like, "Yeah, I got kids. Who, I have a kid who's sixty four years old." It's like you don't even look sixty four. To be fair, though, I think he had like four or five kids by by the time he was like twenty three or so. Like that's when he got when he got arrested. Yeah, and then he went to prison during that stretch of their lives when they would have aged him and worn him out. So then he got out and didn't have didn't have to deal with any of that. So still still got that youthful exuberance. <laughs> I'm sure that makes everything better. Yeah. Hey, cheer up, Sorry. buddy. At least you still look young. So yeah, Abdur Rahman. He's. I'm glad people like this exist. There are there are a couple other examples. There was a guy named Howard Donahue who mm -hmm. was part of this really famous CBS experiment where they tried to recreate the Kennedy assassination, basically. And he was the only guy who could do it. And and people ever since then have cited that as evidence that Lee Harvey Oswald did it. But Howard Donahue was like, no, no one, no one could have done this on the first try. This is crazy. And he spent about 30 years investigating that and I think came up with a pretty valid theory that we've talked about on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. And also Tom Grant, the guy who has been investigating the death of Kurt Cobain literally since the day that happened and it's 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 a brave thing to be that way in the world as it exists right now with the way like conspiracy theorists kind of get a lot of scorn and ridicule and it's yeah. uh it's interesting to see someone dedicate their life 
to something but, like that. Yeah, and you can see how much it consumed him. Like, I feel like this clearly, like, cost him so much in his life, like his marriage and whatnot. Like, this dude was just all consumed by this. Yeah, and it, I, I think I understand that because it's, it's one of those things that when you start looking into the evidence that's just readily available out there in FBI files and whatnot, it's pretty obvious who actually committed this murder. Yeah. And, like, there's a whole community in New Jersey that has known forever that this guy did it, and nothing was ever done. No. They were just like, oh, yeah, that's the guy who did it. And everybody's like, why is he arrested? Or like, oh, we can't talk about that. Like, it's fucking nuts. Yeah, the, the argument is basically, well, he reformed his life, and he's, <laughs> he's better now. It's like, he shot Malcolm X. <laughs> that is a huge crime. Well, he hasn't shot him recently. <laughs> no, it's just it's still just mind blowing about how he just walked the streets and was just like a hood legend. I was like, that's the guy who did it. Yeah. Like in the documentary at one point, someone's like, Man, I can't imagine having to carry that weight your whole life. It's like that's who you feel bad for? The dude who had to carry a murder on his conscience his entire life. <laughs> like he's he definitely moved on. Man, uh, no, I can't wait till we just get into like the documentary. It's about how th- this dude's face was just everywhere. Like his name and face was everywhere. He's in the video of the crowd beating the other gunman. And he could not <laughs> yeah. look more fucking guilty in that video. Holy shit. Yeah, because you see the Talmadge guy getting beat up by, like, 12 cops and people. He's a dozen people are carrying this guy, and you see his head stick out like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. And then the dude who killed him is just walking by, putting a gun in his jacket, and then <laughs> keeping it moving. He looks like he's got a little smile on his face. <laughs> he already knows he got away with that shit. He's just like, he might as well have thumbs up, like, that one camera that was there. <laughs> It was crazy. It was it's like, that's the guy who did it. It was, everything was just so fucking crazy. It was insane. So as we mentioned last week, we'll run through the official version again real quick. The official version of events, Malcolm X was killed by three assassins, Talmadge Hare, Norman 3X Butler, and Thomas 15X Johnson. We know Talmadge Hare is super duper guilty. Yeah, he's, yeah. Absolutely. He's a guy in the video. Yeah. One of Malcolm X's security guards shot him in the fucking leg. So that that was a legitimate conviction. But as we discussed last week, when he went on trial, as it started becoming more and more apparent that the two co-conspirators he was being tried with were actually going to be found guilty, he made a point of testifying on their behalf and saying very clearly that not only are they not guilty, but there were actually four conspirators and uh, none of that mattered. All three of them ended up going to prison because they were tried together. No, it's fucking, it's a fucking travesty on like the justice system, but totally expected for that time. And uh, probably still like, Oh, 100%. Like I, I feel like we've as a country gotten better at stuff like this, which is scary. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think we still kill people. We just, uh, it's not so public and obvious, which I don't know why they even changed. It's not like the government ever got caught killing anyone no. in the 60s. Like, they just will sweep something else or just something else will just come out that's, like, bigger and we forget about it, i.e. Epstein. 
Oh, yeah. What's going on with that? I'm sure that case is going to get solved real soon. Yeah, right? No, he's just going to be a Netflix doc like 15 years from now. And we'll be like, oh, I didn't know. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hour oh, so far. Yeah. So, so basically this documentary challenges that official theory of what happened to Malcolm X. And there's basically two parts to this conspiracy. There's the Nation of Islam's role, which is still very prominent. Yeah. They, at the end of the day, are responsible for the actual killing. But then there's also law enforcement's role, which if they didn't somehow directly influence this event, they 100% knew it was going to happen and just let it happen, which is uh, not how police are supposed to work. No, like just the we're, I mean, we get into it, but just the whole thing is just it's fucking crazy and just like so fucking like wide, like wide open. You know what I mean? Like Malcolm X, someone should have told Malcolm X like, yo, man, there's like no cops outside. We got like no security. Like we probably shouldn't do this. Yeah, that that lack of security is really important to the story. But one of the one of the first things they challenge in this documentary is the notion that Elijah Muhammad absolutely would not have ordered a hit on Malcolm X. And that is a thing you hear pretty consistently from Nation of Islam members who were around at the time. Yeah. But also Malcolm X himself in the weeks before he was killed was very publicly uh, telling anyone who would listen that the Nation of Islam was going to kill him soon so if he thought they were behind it i i kind of trust that and also the people that have come out and said that the nation hasn't didn't put out the hit on him are nation of islam members so like why would their voice like kind of matter you know what i mean right like they're all boys and it's gonna be like hey, elijah Muhammad would never do that it's like dog he he absolutely would oh yeah and the the point they make in the documentary is that he didn't really need to explicitly come out and say, hey, someone kill Malcolm X. <laughs> like, all he needed to do was just kind of drop the hint that Malcolm X was a problem for him. And someone was going to take care of that problem, no matter what. Yeah, it's so crazy. And for proof of this, they turn to the experts, which is the FBI. If you if you want any information about Malcolm X or Elijah Muhammad and what they were up to every single day in the 60s, the FBI probably recorded whatever they were doing. Every single phone call, every single meeting, like they had moles within the organizations on both ends, like and just pages and pages of fucking notes about these guys. Yeah, the uh, the number of FBI informants and operatives that we eventually find out they had not just inside the organization, but in the room when Malcolm X died, it's mind blowing. Yeah. The, the guy that gave him like CPR was one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's, <laughs> we'll get to that. That's fucking, yeah, we, we'll, that's probably the craziest detail. It's all fucking insane. Just like, how did they not notice these new people in the group? You know what I mean? Yeah. They, that's the thing they had to notice. Like the the FBI, I personally like the documentary doesn't explicitly say it, but 
I kind of feel like the person who shot Malcolm X was probably working for or with the FBI. Absolutely. Because they go to a lot of lengths to protect him. And as we learn from the assassination of Malcolm X, the feds weren't really uh, trying too hard to protect black people in the sixties. No, but this guy, they did weird, but in these FBI files, one of the, when they're talking about this idea that Elijah Muhammad wouldn't have ordered the hit, like you said earlier, this, these files are just there. They're just like, they're just in a basement. And this guy was like, oh yeah, we got boxes of shit. <laughs> yeah. Like almost like no one's ever wanted to look at this, but we have all this. Like it's, it was fucking crazy. And in one of the logs of Elijah Muhammad's calls, there is this quote. With these hypocrites, when you find them, cut their heads off. And what they say in the documentary is that would have been enough. Like, whoever was in the room and heard Elijah Muhammad say that would have just taken it as, okay, well, we we need to kill Malcolm X. Man. And Talmadge Hayer also says at one point during an interview, which he's passed away since then. This is like an old prison interview. It was like in the 80s. Yeah, but he said uh, he wouldn't, he didn't need a direct order from Elijah Muhammad. He knew what he was supposed to do. Yeah. There were also suggestions that Elijah Muhammad's children were using the nation of Islam to get rich. And that if something happened to Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X would be number two in the line of command and he might crack down on all that corruption. So maybe they wanted him dead, which again, just it all like, makes sense like i know we talked we touched on it in the last episode about how like malcolm x was theoretically like fucking it up for a lot of people like he was safer being a part of the nation of islam like spreading like sort of like the rhetoric that they were spreading rather than just going against the grain and being like no everybody should be equal we should all be in this together like that's way more dangerous than fucking just being a separatist yeah once he left the nation of Islam, he was kind of everyone's enemy instead of just the nation of Islam's enemy. Like by, by the time he gets to North Africa, like the state department is basically monitoring him too. The, the thing that really strikes me about this documentary is just like, imagine being Malcolm X in that last month of his life. Like just knowing that every force possible in this country even a group that you helped build is now basically intent on shutting you up forever. That would be such intense pressure. And to still go out and hold these rallies and still keep that commitment, the world needs more people like that, but the government would just kill them. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll just like turn a blind eye. Like they were like that referee who was just like, you know, you guys get, you guys are going to get any call you want. Like just do your thing. And we're going to make sure you win. I feel like we saw the same thing when Tupac died. That felt like a thing where the police were just like, eh, we're probably never going to figure that out. Right. I bet in 50 years when all the files are declassified, we'll find out the FBI was just on Tupac all the time and knew this shit was about to happen. Which it's crazy to think about it. He was only like 25 years old. Like 24, 25. Yeah. That's the fucking crazy part. And I feel like every year there's at least a documentary on either VH1 or BT, maybe every two years, about like, we know who killed Tupac. And 
they never get an answer. No, there's been three attempts to make a movie out of, uh, there's a book called Labyrinth, which is based on this LAPD detective named Russell Poole. And he did kind of an independent investigation into Notorious Big and Tupac both, and basically decided that the LAPD was the most complicit in that killing. And they've tried three different times to make a movie out of that book. And it ends up getting shut down every time. Stallone tried to make one. Really? Johnny Depp not only tried to make that movie, but there were trailers in theaters for it. And then the allegations about him abusing Amber Heard came out. And oh, fuck. That's the movie right. got shelved. And then Leon- Leonardo DiCaprio was set to play Russell Poole in a movie and it got shut down again. So it's like that live action, like Akira of like black conspiracy movies. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) So they also talk about just how badly the relationship between Malcolm X and the nation of Islam was deteriorating. And I think they make a pretty strong case that the idea that Elijah Muhammad wouldn't have ordered this really doesn't matter. Because he he said it. And it's also like, again, like Malcolm X was like blowing up his spot on every fucking front. Right. Like he was just like Nation of Islam's bullshit. That's not real Islam. Elijah Muhammad's got multiple baby mamas. And it's like it's blowing up his spot insanely. Yeah. And even if Elijah Muhammad never said that Malcolm X should be killed, his son said it. Elijah Muhammad Jr. at a rally basically said uh, Malcolm X's tongue should be cut out and mailed to Elijah Muhammad. And I'm no medical expert, but I feel like he would probably die in that process. So that's that's close enough. Also, they said that like Elijah Muhammad's son was like his mouthpiece. So like whatever right. he said was might as Elijah Muhammad would have said it. And he's telling me that like Elijah Muhammad's son is just going to go out there and say shit without getting like a co-sign from Elijah Muhammad? Yeah, we already know what happens when a member of the Nation of Islam at the time said something Elijah Muhammad didn't like because it happened to Malcolm X after yeah. JFK died. He was publicly censured for saying what he said. So there was there was no censuring of Elijah Muhammad Jr. when he said Malcolm X should be killed. So I, I think the idea that the Nation of Islam wouldn't have ordered this is... Uh, not true. No. Take that, history. And again, all they did was just interview Nation of Islam members. And I want to say Elijah Muhammad's daughter being like, Elijah would never say that. It's like, dude, he did. Like, yeah, he, he did. She was like, I was there. Like, okay. <laughs> you also like four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone's kids look crazy young. One of Malcolm X's daughters is in this. And she looks like she's fucking 28. Yeah, no, it goes with, like, Black Don't Crack, plus this really wasn't that long ago. Yeah, that's true. It was, uh, I think we're coming right up on, what year was it, 67? 67, so like 53 years. Yeah. Wow. So she was probably like, she's probably like 60, and she looks 28. Yeah, yeah. God damn. Good genes. Yeah. So, with all of these rifts that are happening between Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam, the FBI is on all of their phones and communications. They have 
top level informants, which in the nation of Islam, there were only like 10 people at the top. And the FBI was like, we got three at the top, (laughs) which that is 30% of the top leadership of the nation of Islam was FBI informants. It's fucking insane. Like watching this, I almost got the sense that the nation of Islam was maybe started by the government to like steer black people in this country away from actual Islam and more toward whatever the nation of Islam is. Yeah, like I can I totally see that and like somewhat agree with that where if they weren't started by the government, the government at least co-signed on it to be like it's sort of a benefit to like have black people think that they can get power, but they really aren't going to advance even within this group. Right. So it was like as radical as they seemed, they were pretty safe for like what could actually demand change like at the time. Yeah, and that that really becomes the defining difference between the Nation of Islam and Malcolm X. He wanted to handle things uh, one way, and they wanted to handle things another way. And the situations where they choose, where the Nation of Islam chooses to stand down and not say anything, like the JFK assassination, those shootings at the mosque in L.A., yeah, like that just makes me feel like who are you really fucking working for here? Because those were things that people should have been very angry about. And you would expect the nation of Islam to say something about it. And in all of those moments, they kind of backed off, which I don't know. seems weird. So the FBI, they find out all of these rifts are happening and it seems like what they decide to do is just sort of like, see if they can inflame things a little bit. And the one thing they they do is they, they fire off letters to Clara Muhammad, who is uh, Elijah Muhammad's wife, telling him, her about all of the affairs he was having. Didn't really work. Did not work. And she was just like, yeah, what is he supposed to do? Like, kind of cool with it. Like, you take, like, it was fucking stunning to me. Yeah, and I I think that, because that also is a thing that eventually causes Malcolm X to leave, and I think that also is makes me kind of suspect of the organization as a whole, because they they interview this guy named John Ali a whole bunch, and it's been suggested or suspected that John Ali was actually a FBI agent or an FBI informant, and they ask him about Elijah Muhammad's affairs, and he's like, yeah, I don't care. Like, what's it matter to me? And it's like, well, he's teaching a thing. Yeah. And then he's doing a different thing. And, like, that doesn't bother you at all? And he's like, nah. <laughs> like, what? It should bother you. Unless you're, like, a government agent. It really should. And just just the things people would turn a blind eye to, to, like, for their leaders and for, like, their cause. Like, if it can benefit them, they don't give a fuck. There is a really interesting moment in this documentary where the FBI, as part of their efforts to kind of divide the nation of Islam further, they approach Malcolm X and try to flip him as an informant. And he records the entire conversation. They don't realize he's recording. And at one point, they, they you know, just kind of outright say, you know, if you can give us information about what's happening in the nation of Islam. Maybe we can give you money or help or whatever kind of help you need. And his quote was, there is no government agency that can ever expect information from me. 
Fuck yes. That is what I like to hear. Dude, it would have fucked up everything if he flipped and joined the FBI. Because I feel like we both suspect like the FBI and the Nation of Islam were like pretty, they're pretty friendly. So if they were like, yo, we got Malcolm X's informant, they would have just outed him as an informant immediately. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, and during this time, he's trying to like send letters to Elijah Muhammad to reconcile. And everyone is like stopping those letters from getting through. The, it's like the notebook. Yeah. <laughs> it is exactly like the notebook. So they finally, the thing that it seems like finally splits them is Cassius Clay, where Malcolm X befriends Cassius Clay in Miami and kind of brings him to the nation of Islam. And then when he gets there, he's like, well, Elijah Muhammad gave me my new name. It's Muhammad Ali, which as it turns out, that's a very special name Yeah, in Islam. And Malcolm X is kind of exiled from the group. Even even Muhammad Ali turns on him. I know. It's fucking sad. So that that's when they finally split. And even a cop in this documentary realizes that that was a not a great move on Elijah Muhammad's part. Because Malcolm X, like, even if he said some controversial shit from time to time, he was great at recruiting people to this cause. Yeah, absolutely. Like... It's just it's just all so fucking crazy and like pretty depressing in all honesty. Just um, just how much like preventable shit there was and just like how again, how wide open this all is. Like this evidence was readily available for the public. And it's just ah, it's just so fucking sad. Yeah, and it was as as we find out later, the like all of this was readily available to the FBI. Like they everyone knew this was gonna happen. That's the saddest thing about this to me it's it's not so much i mean it's obviously a huge bummer that malcolm x was assassinated but it's like so many people knew it was going to happen and just kind of waited for it to happen and they were happy when it did yeah and malcolm x was saying it for like the last month of his life being like dude they're trying to kill me they're gonna kill me yeah and the police do some really cynical shit in response to that but before we get to that, they he splits with the Nation of Islam, and that's when he starts touring the world and basically saying, look, I'll work with anyone to fix this problem. And that's when I think he really gets on the U.S. government's. I mean, he was already on the government's radar, but he was on the State Department's radar once yeah. he started doing that. Because like an independently powerful Malcolm X is dangerous to both of those sides, the nation of Islam and the U S government. And I feel like those two sides both had an understanding that someone was going to kill him. And they were just like, well, whoever gets there first, I guess. So one of the things they talk about a lot in this documentary is the affidavit that Talmadge Hare filed where he names all of the conspirators, which he didn't do. It took him 12 years to do that. And he basically waited for Elijah Muhammad to die which cool that you finally did it but also two other people went to prison for 20 years over this shit yeah but i also i don't know what he could have done like he literally got on the stand and said no they were not there they could not have been there don't find them guilty and they found him guilty no that's true and again i get why he waited till like elijah mama died because i mean it's a huge nation of Islam community 
in jail. So like if he fucking named the other people he was with like that, he probably would have died in jail like quicker than he actually did. Yeah, that I mean that's where he that's where Malcolm X found the nation of Islam. So they yeah, that's true. That that probably was prison pressure yeah. more than anything. But he does finally name him Benjamin Thomas, Leon Davis, William X Bradley and Wilbur I can't I can't tell from the documentary if the fourth guy's name is Wilbur Kinley or Wilbur or Kinley. They're all like dead by that time, right? Most of them. Yeah, like four to five of them. But one of them was still alive. and Out and about, just having a fucking blast. Just out there, palling it up with Cory Booker and shit. Right? Uh, all, of the, all of the conspirators were from Newark, from the Newark, New Jersey mosque, which is, it seems like, had been an open secret as it relates to the killing of Malcolm X for decades Absolutely. They interview all of these people in Newark, like all of these Nation of Islam leaders in Newark, and they're all like, yeah, we know. Like, we we knew the killers came from New Jersey. Dude, it it was just like, everybody's like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, it was like, yeah, we know. What what else do you want to talk about? And it's like, dude, that is why Abdul Rahman was there, was to talk about this. But like, yeah, come on. Like, now is not the day to talk about this guy who killed Malcolm X. Yeah, they... Both Norman Butler and Thomas Johnson, they both had really solid alibis. And even without those alibis, they bring up the point that, you know, the reason we were convicted of this is because we were very openly aggressive and very open adversaries of Malcolm X. So it makes sense that we would be convicted, but also because they were such open adversaries of Malcolm X. There's no fucking way they would have been let in the Audubon ballroom that day. Yeah. And one of Malcolm X's security detail at one point files an affidavit saying the exact same thing. Like they knew these people very well. They knew how they felt about Malcolm X and they would not have let those two in the ballroom at all. Of course they got 20 years for not showing up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they said, I mean, that didn't keep them out of prison. What's no. crazy is when they tried these three men, they tried them as a group, which meant any of the evidence they had against Talmadge Hare, which was pretty considerable, yeah, also applied to the other two. So there was really, like, there there almost was no independent alibi that you could have. No, which, again, is so fucked up, but, again, goes to show how, like, the government just wanted this over with as quickly as possible. Because they knew if this case like dragged out, then more evidence would have come out and like proven that they were in on it. Yeah, and like the police knew all of this. Like they knew oh, man. so much about how the Nation of Islam worked because they had so many informants within the group. Not only that, but they did such little police work for this. Oh yeah, they were like we talked to like ten people. Uh, <laughs> They said they saw these guys, and it's like, and they left the fucking podium like there. They didn't take it or anything. <laughs> and then that night was still a ballet. Yeah, there was a dance later that night. They cleaned <laughs> up the ballroom. What? Who cares? Yeah, Ugh. it was it was such like fucking just misconduct and just chillness for what went down. Yeah, the one of the ironies of all this is they talk so much about how. Malcolm X's killers came from the New Jersey mosque. 
there's a high school in New Jersey called Malcolm Shabazz High School. Yeah. And it turns out it's the high school that one of the killers graduated from. Man. Fun fact. There's also a Malcolm <laughs> Shabazz High School in Madison, Wisconsin. That's pretty cool. I used to live in Madison, and Shabazz was the high school you went to if you just couldn't get along at any other high school. That's usually the case for, like, most black leader named schools. Yeah. Like, Imagine that. I yeah, thought this right? country was better than that. I feel like that's how the country knows to not give money to those schools. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. Right? Is that fucked up to say? No. I mean, it's like... It's like the old Chris Rock joke, like MLK Boulevard in any town is going to be the scariest, most violent street. <laughs> That's fair. And it's, yeah, I think that they do the same thing with high schools. Man. So this affidavit that Talmadge Hare filed, it, it lays out exactly how this crime happened. Like he yeah. goes into detail about how they scoped out the building the night before and they figured out what exits they were going to use and they were able to just, they had no deterrent. There was, they, they were just able to do it. Like if Talmadge Hare hadn't got shot in the leg, he would have probably got away too. Absolutely. And it wasn't even like a fucking sophisticated plan. Like this isn't like an Ocean's Eleven type detail that went into this. They were just like, we're, we're going to cause a distraction. You guys run up there with your guns and then shoot them. But like if there was like a modicum of like police protection like patting people down, shit would not have happened. Right. And Talmadge Hare even says that. He says if there had been a police presence at the door, they probably wouldn't have done this. No. And instead, there were two cops on the roof and no other <laughs> police anywhere. So they, through this, these documents, they land on William X. Bradley hmm. as the person who fired the shotgun. And according to the coroner, the shotgun is what killed Malcolm X. So yeah. the the documentary, at least in terms of the nation of Islam, half of things really focuses on William X. Bradley and Abdul Rahman. He, he is a ballsy dude. He's like, I want to go find this guy and I want to talk to him. Yeah. And then like drives by his house multiple times. Yeah. He's like stalking him a little bit. But I wish he would have talked to him. Because, like, I don't know how far we can get now. We'll wait. We'll wait. But, like, yeah. But it's just crazy. It's just crazy how he was, like, still alive and chilling. For decades. And he finds out that William X. Bradley has probably changed his name to a Muslim name. Mm -hmm. And he's doing all of this work to try and figure out what that name is. And no one will talk to him. And then he just has some chance encounter with someone where he's like, hey, do you know uh, anything about the guy who killed Malcolm X? And the person just goes, oh, yeah, Al Mustafa Shabazz, William X. Bradley. Just <laughs> yeah. blurts his fucking name out. Like an old friend. Like, oh, yeah, that guy. That guy's, that guy's great. Yeah, he runs a boxing gym now. Yeah, what do you, well, what about it? He killed Malcolm X. Like, okay. <laughs> like, not even, like, hiding it. Not even like trying to protect them. Just like it's, uh, it's like yeah, that guy's great. So Abdul Rahman takes this name back to Newark and starts throwing it around to those same people that he had been talking to before, who were like, "Yeah, we we know there's some like connection, but we don't talk about it. We don't know anything." And he's like, "Well, what about this guy?" 
and people get very nervous. Yeah. Like visibly nervous when he brings the name up. And even there's like, I think it's the current mayor of Newark that he's interviewing. And even that guy's like, leave it alone. Like we don't talk about it. It's like, you are, you are the mayor. You're supposed to talk about things like that. Which just goes back to like your theory of him working for the FBI and him being so protected on such a high level. Yeah. It, it seems like he was protected at every level. Like imagine knowing the dude who killed Malcolm X is just living in your community and you're like, I can't arrest him. I can't, I can't do anything because you probably couldn't like, no, the, the funniest detail about like this documentary is worth watching for this moment alone, (laughs) which is when Al Mustafa Shabazz turns up in a Cory Booker campaign video. And Cory Booker is in this documentary. When they first showed him, I was like, what the fuck is Cory Booker doing here? Then I remembered he was mayor of Newark for a long time. Yeah. But then they're interviewing Cory Booker and they're like, uh, you know, Al Mustafa Shabazz. And he's like, oh yeah, Muslim brother lives in, uh, lives in Newark. <laughs> Fixture of the community. Just solid Cory Booker. They're like, uh, thank you. <laughs> they're like, uh, did you know he maybe killed Malcolm X? Cory Booker's like, No. And then they're like, did you know he's in one of your campaign videos? And then they show him and they keep interviewing Cory Booker. And every time they say killed Malcolm X, he goes, please say allegedly, please say allegedly. <laughs> like imagine if Cory Booker was still in the presidential campaign right now. And that fucking came out. Right. And he had to know, like he had to know about this guy. Everybody fucking knew. That's the thing. Like everyone knew. Like, Everybody, everybody's like, yo, there's a guy that killed Malcolm X. Like, again, like a, like a local celebrity, like he was definitely invited to like birthday parties and shipping. Like, yo, I got the guy who killed Malcolm X. I couldn't get you that cover <laughs> band, but I got the guy who killed Malcolm X is just going to stand in the corner and look shady as fuck. He's going to do a tight 15 up top. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Like if the current mayor of Newark knows about that guy, Cory Booker knew about that guy. There's no He's, fucking way. Everybody knew about that guy. Like, everybody fucking knew about the dude. Every Islamic leader. Like, oh, yeah, that's the guy. He comes here all the time. And it's just like nobody gave a fuck and just shows, like, the hypocrisy of being, like, we love Malcolm X, yet we're super cool with the guy that killed him. Yeah. And it's, like, the general consensus just seems to be, well, he's a good dude. He got out of prison in 1998. (laughs) He rebuilt his life. He runs a boxing gym now. He's like Cuddy from The Wire. It's great. (laughs) Imagine, like, being a kid, being like, yeah, who taught you how to fight? Well, the guy who killed Malcolm X. So, like, you know, you're not going to fight that. You're not going to fight that guy. Definitely not. And speaking of conspiracies, since we're this first half, we're just talking about the Nation of Islam part of this documentary. Yeah. How about what happens to Al-Mustafa Shabazz? He dies before Abdul Rahman can interview him. He dies. And yeah. look, I get that he's old. But that's crazy timing. It's really interesting timing that the last living person who probably could have shed some light on what happened, what really happened to Malcolm X just conveniently dies right before this documentary gets to interview him. It's fucking insane. And then like he fucking shows up to the dude's funeral and people are like, oh, yeah, that's a guy. Yeah, kill Malcolm X. But we got to bury him right now. Yeah. And the fucking lieutenant governor is there. Dude, it, yeah. 
so then he interviews her about the guy and she's just like, you know, I don't ask too many questions, man. I don't know. <laughs> it's, oh, it's fucking crazy. So it's pretty apparent from this documentary that by the most technical terms, the nation of Islam killed Malcolm X. And yes. it was almost certainly four or five people from the Newark mosque, even though history has said all of the killers came from the Harlem mosque. It seems like those two were railroaded and yeah. did not have anything to do with it. So that's one half of the conspiracy. Then there's the police response and law enforcement's role in all this, which I still think comes down to like that, uh, you know, like the good Samaritan law where if you see someone in trouble, you're supposed to get out and help. Yeah. Like there should have been some good Samaritan laws going on here because the entire U.S. government knew Malcolm X was going to die. And they were just like, oh, let's hope. Yeah, just watching and like waiting and being like, oh, yeah, fuck it. Like, again, no cops. They were all hanging. All two of them were hanging out in a roof across the street. Right. And they mention in this documentary that normally events like this or, or events at the Audubon Ballroom, which was in Harlem, by the way, normally lots of police show up. And like, I guess that's just hearsay, but I bet there was a pretty strong police presence around any group of a lot of people in Harlem in the 60s. Absolutely. Or even think about it like now, right? Say, you remember when you were a teenager, you had like cops busting in a party? Right. There was at least six cops. Or if you've ever been to like go to a rock show at a small club and then go yeah. to a rap show at that same <laughs> club. And just yeah, make right. note of how many cops you see. I know whenever I get pulled over, it's at least six cops. All right? Yeah. Like, yeah. They only had two on, like, the f- closest yet furthest possible away place. Like, they were on a roof across the street. So if shit did go down, they'd have to run down, like, eight flights of steps and then get there. And as we know now, some shit did go down. And they didn't get there in time. No. And they talk about how just in general, when the police showed up, there was no sense of urgency. It was like they were arriving to a thing they knew was going to happen. And they were just there to check it out now. Uh, they didn't close off any of the air. Like it was, it was just like gross by how like blatant it was that they did not give a fuck. Yeah. And as, as you mentioned earlier, they cleaned up the crime scene immediately after so they could hold another event at seven o'clock that night. And they they interview this uh, district attorney in it in the documentary, and he's like, "I didn't see anything there that would have uh, swayed my decision." And it's like, "You are the district attorney. You're not a fucking forensic investigator." Yeah, no, it was uh, fucking gross. So there was that. They cleaned up the ballroom. Talmadge Hayer. They cut to an interview with him where he's like, "Yeah, if there were just police at the door, we probably wouldn't have done it." And We sort of mentioned this earlier, but in 1983, this TV show called Like It Is with Gil Noble, they do an episode on the assassination of Malcolm X, and they go back to the Audubon Ballroom, which had been shut down for years by then. And in the fucking basement, they find the podium Malcolm X was talking at, just riddled with bullet holes. Yeah, still there, just chilling. It's like, how is that not in police evidence somewhere like did they investigate this at all or even like a museum right because in the unabomber's cabin in a museum 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, my second thought after why don't the police have this is you should take that to Pawn Stars. <laughs> See what you can get for that. But then Pawn Stars would have brought in like Abdul Rahman because he's the premier <laughs> Malcolm X expert and he would have graded its value. Exactly. So this is just cut out the middleman of Pawn Stars. <laughs> yeah, he would have probably bought it. <laughs> yeah, he could just, it's probably in his house. It should at least be in this guy's house. So the. The, the fact that that podium is there speaks directly to what kind of investigative work went into the death of Malcolm X. And they talk about the, the firebombing that happened. And in the days after that firebombing happened, it turned out the NYPD was like feeding information to reporters off the record, basically saying, yeah, we think maybe he did this himself, which is absurd. Yeah. Like Malcolm X was rendered homeless by that firebombing. And he had several kids that he seemed to care a whole lot about. There's no fucking way he would have firebombed his own house. And what they were doing was kind of putting it out there that, oh, he doesn't really need to be protected. He's just sort of making all this up. Throughout this documentary, it's the backstory of Malcolm X. Like, really good dude. Oh, yeah. Like, he said some controversial things but was always like a family man and like really cared deeply about his family. Yeah. He cared deeply about his family and he cared deeply about his people. And like, this was at a time when like things still aren't great for black people in this country, especially as it pertains to treatment from the police, but it was really off the chain back then. Yeah. And there needed to be a Malcolm X like Malcolm X was mandatory like there needed to be that kind of presence for black people in the country at the time and i think the government knew that and i think they fucking let him die over it yeah no absolutely definitely at least gave it definitely gave it the green light like fucking do this shit for us please yeah one of the saddest moments in this documentary they're interviewing this cop named tony booza who seems like he sort of regrets what happened back then but you know, fuck you still. One of the things he says is that the NYPD was surveilling Malcolm X so heavily that they knew he needed to be protected from the nation of Islam. And he was like, but we couldn't afford it. We had, it would have been all this overtime and we couldn't afford it. So what they did is this is some really cynical shit. They approached Malcolm X and were like, Hey, do you want protection from us? Knowing he would say no. Yeah. And once he said no, they got him to sign a thing saying he refused protection. And they were like, all right, good luck. Which that's not how it's supposed to work. (laughs) No. Like the police are just supposed to protect you. I mean, we know they don't, but. No. But it was just, oh man, it's just, it's all just so fucked up. And just how everybody's openly admitting it. Yeah. What really blows my mind about that overtime claim is, well, you were running a whole separate division of the NYPD called the Red Squad, which was just tailing Malcolm X everywhere he went and taking pictures and documenting his movements. And it's like, maybe if you weren't spying on him, you could have transferred those resources into protecting him, perhaps. It's a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm no budget expert, but... Seems like that might have worked. And yeah, they did. They had this 
squad, this division of the NYPD that was basically like a little FBI called the Red Squad. And there's a really great scene where this reporter is yelling at someone on the roof of a building near one of Malcolm X's events. And he goes, "Who are, are you with the police? And then he just starts yelling, Red Squad. Like wilding out? Yeah, and, and the guy just, <laughs> the cop just like smiles a little and does the, the shush thing with his finger. It's like, it was, so what one of the things they mentioned a couple times in this documentary is yes, Malcolm X knew he was being watched by the FBI and monitored, but he thought it was happening in a really open and obvious way, like stuff like that. When it turns out it was so much deeper than that. Yeah. It's all just so crazy about how they were able to get so close so easily. Yeah. They, we, we sort of mentioned this earlier, like, well, we should mention the there's a Hoover, a J. Edgar Hoover quote, which yeah. I think has become pretty famous in relation to Malcolm X. And it's from an FBI document where he literally says, we need to do something about all this black violence, do something about Malcolm X. And then it also said in another document that he wanted to prevent the rise of a black Messiah. So the FBI was really intent on stopping Malcolm X and what they did, they didn't have, there were, there were no black FBI agents at the time, which shocker. Yeah, kind of, but it seems like just for sarcastic, it makes the most amount of sense. Yeah. Like for business reasons, if nothing else, like it's true, it would make your job a lot easier to just have black FBI agents, but they didn't. So they went in, they would just approach people on the street and round them up as informants and have them infiltrate the Nation of Islam. And one of the people that they did this with, a guy named Gene Roberts, ends up rising all the way to the point of being Malcolm X's head of security. Yeah. There's a picture from the assassination where you see this guy really prominently. His name's Gene Roberts. In that picture, he looks like fucking Morris Day. In He's super sharp. Purple Rain. Yeah, he looks great. <laughs> and he was as it turns out put in place by the nypd and was part of this uh group that worked with the fbi called the bureau of special services and one of the craziest moments is when he talks about being there and seeing all of this and the shooting happens and he ends up giving malcolm x mouth to mouth to try and save his life and then gets back to his office and his superiors are like hey why'd you try and save that guy he's he's a bad guy you're supposed to let him die and he's like i don't know i'm a cop i thought my job is to save people (laughs) and it's like that's what when that cop they interview says malcolm x didn't realize how closely we were watching him like his number two the the person he would probably trust most to protect him yeah was working for the fucking fbi but also, again, he was working for the FBI, but still, again, tried to protect them. Yeah, he he uh, is also one of the people who helped slow Talmadge Hare down. He he hit him with a chair. Like that, which is fucking crazy. Like, it's like some WWF type shit. And they interview this FBI agent named Arthur Fulton in the documentary. He says they had nine informants 
in the audience at the Audubon Ballroom that day. And it seems like the FBI just kind of always knew exactly what happened to Malcolm X. Yeah. And they were just willing to let two other people go to prison for it because their files, they, they have a picture of the man who shot Malcolm X. They have a description of the man who shot Malcolm X. Like we mentioned, he's in the video. He's in the video putting the gun in his jacket and then walking away. Cool. Like just the most confident strut. Like everyone walking away from a crime, the way that guy was walking away, did it. Yeah. Like did it and knew he wasn't going to get caught. Yeah. Like who wouldn't stay and check that out? Like if they're (laughs) beating the guy who just shot Malcolm X and you're like, what? I got to beat traffic. I'm trying trying to catch a train. Like, no, you're going to fucking hang out. He walked off. Like it was like Ken Griffey when he hits the Homer back in the (laughs) nineties, he just did a bat flip and just fucking strutted. Flipped his shotgun. (laughs) Yeah, and Talmadge Hayer's getting the shit kicked out of him. And he just stayed in his face. Like, Hayer's body is not on the ground, but he's floating like three feet in the air, just from fists and feet. Yeah. It's crazy. And yeah, they find these FBI files, more FBI files, that have a picture of the guy who fired the shotgun. They name him as the shooter. And then... On a few different occasions in those files, they're like, by the way, don't tell the NYPD, (laughs) which there really can only be one reason why the FBI would not want the NYPD to know the name of the actual killer. And that's if the FBI is protecting him for some reason. Absolutely. And why would they be protecting him? Maybe he was an FBI agent or maybe he was an informant or maybe they just got to him and sent an informant in and put it in this guy's ear that he should probably kill Malcolm X. And he did it. And the FBI got away with it. They got away with it. The Nation of Islam got away with it. The only people who didn't, the only person who really didn't get away with it, and deservedly so, is Hare. But that's because, again, he was dumb enough to get caught. Yeah, he was too slow. He was too slow. Also, like, everybody's aim was fucking awful, except for the shotgun guy. Yeah, they talk about how he fired from the hip, which is yeah. only a thing experts do when they're shooting a shotgun. Like, you have to really know how to shoot to shoot the way that uh, that guy was shooting. There was only, like, what? Like, there was, like, 40 or 50 bullets that hit the walls and podium, but only the shotgun blast is what got him? Yeah. Like, fucking stormtroopers. And it ends up being convenient for the, the purposes of this documentary because... Bradley was the only person still alive. Like the other other conspirators had all been uh, rumored to have died. And it's so frustrating that this ends with him just missing his chance to confront William Bradley. And it's just, I honestly feel like the nation and the FBI like went hand in hand with this and then like controlled the cops. I feel like everybody was in on this to get him. Like, that's just honestly, I feel like it just, there's no other way, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel the same way about JFK. Like there's, you see the same thing with the JFK assassination where it's like, where were the police? There were like, there, there should have been police everywhere and they, there weren't. And it's like, that can only lead a person to think well, law enforcement knew that something was going to happen and that they shouldn't be there. I mean, the more you talk about JFK and this whole era of killings, that seems to be how 
the government assassinates people like their textbook brand or like, you know what I mean? Like, that's just the play they go with. Like, that's their fucking, that's their slants play. Like, that's just their go-to on how to kill people is get the dividing groups involved in it and then just have them do it while they facilitate everything else. Yeah, and it, I, I think it's pretty obvious that's what happened with Malcolm X. And that, like, that's, that's best case scenario. Cause worst case scenario is just that the FBI and the Nation of Islam work together to make this happen. Yeah. Which they probably did. Yeah. It feels like there had to be some level of collaboration on their part. But it's, and it's again, it's crazy how all of this evidence was just out there and like no one gave a fuck. Yeah. And it's, still out there like if nothing else they could maybe clear norman butler's name like he's still alive and out and living as one of the killers of malcolm x which i think they're gonna think they're gonna do it they reopened the case recently right so they're definitely gonna at least try to clear that guy's name because that really fucked up his life like i know he was against malcolm x and went through like a revolutionary phase in the 60s or whatever but dude served 20 years Lost his family, like still a Muslim, by the way, which is kind of fucking impressive. Yeah. And it looks like it's working out for him. Holy shit. <laughs> Dude, looks fucking great. Like It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's just such a it's a disappointing ending to the documentary. It reminds me of there's a documentary called I think it's just called Edward Wayne Edwards. But this guy, Edward Wayne Edwards, killed a lot of people. And one of his kids is convinced that he is the Zodiac killer. And he actually makes a really strong case that his dad was the Zodiac killer. And at the end of the documentary, they have Edward Wayne Edwards DNA. And we know the San Francisco PD has the Zodiac killers DNA. And it ends with them trying desperately to get San Francisco PD to just compare these two DNA samples to see if they're right. And it never fucking happens. And I think it's because they know they let the Zodiac killer get away and that he killed more people. I think the Zodiac killer and the Atlanta child murderer were the same person. Really? Yeah. Watch that Edward, Edward Wayne Edwards documentary. I think it's on investigation discovery. What a snitch of a kid. What a fucking snitch of a kid. (laughs) Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Right. Why are you snitching on your dad? That's how Edward Wayne Edwards finally got arrested. His daughter turned him in for a crime. Snitches. Like she just like started thinking about how weird her dad was and started Googling cold cases from where they used to live, like all the places they lived. And she found one and was like, I bet my dad did that. And sure enough, he did. But the documentary ends with us still not knowing if he's the Zodiac killer. I just wish they didn't spend a whole episode on him like driving by the dude's house. Yeah, the last episode seemed kind of pointless. Like, he was just like, go fucking talk to the guy. Yeah, I mean, he was probably a little nervous. Like, someone getting that much protection for a crime that big. Like, ugh. That's why I still, like, when he dies in the documentary, I'm like, all right. Who did it? Yeah. Because it could have been the Nation of Islam could have killed him, too. Did they ever say how he just died in his sleep, right? Yeah, they just say he died. They don't say how it happened. Oh, someone definitely fucking killed that guy. Yeah. Yeah, that that was like, that was my first thought. Like, whenever, like, there's that uh, Kurt Cobain documentary from like 10 or 15 years ago where this guy named El Duce is like, yeah, Courtney Love offered me $25,000 to kill Kurt Cobain. And then that guy got hit by a train three days later. What? 
Yeah. So like, it's weird how, like, not just how many weird murders and assassinations are out there, but then all these documentaries where, oh, what a coincidence that in three of these high profile documentaries, someone dies before anyone can find anything out or the authorities won't do anything to investigate it. It's like, it's cover up. No, but it really, like it really fucking is. Everybody knew he did it. Oh yeah. Everybody fucking knew he did it. Yeah. And he's in Cory Booker's 2010 re-election campaign <laughs> video. If you want to go see him for yourself, people should definitely watch this documentary, especially with everyone being shut in. Yeah. You got six. We all have six hours to kill. Yeah. I mean, the episodes are only like 45 minutes each, so it's not even six hours. If you got time to watch Tiger Man, you got time to find out who killed Malcolm X for real. That's why it was funny when you hit me up like, are you free to do this? I'm like, I got, I'm on house arrest. Yeah, I can do this. Yeah, we're all free to do whatever we want, except yeah, like, leave. That's true. And even then, it's fucking sad. And again, if you order Postmates or do takeout, please tip those people. Like, For the love don't of be God. a stingy fuck. Like, at least give them a, like, a solid tip, man. Yeah, I, I ordered weed the other day, and I tipped $9. Just because it's like, it's, it's impressive that you're still out doing that. Yeah, like I got takeout yesterday. I gave a good, like, 20 spot for the tip. Yeah. And I was like... Thank you. Thank you for fucking doing this. Thank you for your service. That's what we're going to be saying that to fucking hospital and food workers when this is all over. Dude, we're, yeah. I just hope this like brings people together, even though it probably isn't. Right? We're fucked. We're kind of fucked. Oh, we're super fucked. Did you see Trump wants to suspend habeas corpus and be able to detain people indefinitely without charging them during all of this? Or in times of civil disobedience. Yeah, they're trying to ram that through while we're all panicked and indoors. Jesus. Yep. It's pretty fucking intense. And uh, it seems like we're we're wandering off course, but I think this all fucking relates to the assassination of Malcolm X. Like, just stop having so much faith in this country. Like, accept that this country is fucking bad and needs to be fixed. And we'll all get along a lot better. Also, like, this country will put its own self-interests before the people's. So, like, if they want to keep something that's, like, status quo, or they, they will fuck whomever they have to to get it done. Yeah, and the assassination of Malcolm X is a great example of that. Like, there, there would have been a revolution in this country if he was allowed to live and carry out the work he was doing. Yeah. Government's not going to stand for that. Also, again, throughout his documentary, I felt kind of bad for Abdul Rahman because, like, he gave up, like, his whole life for this. Yeah. And then he even had, like, the most disappointing ending. He was like, fuck, like, I lost my family to this. Like, I finally figured it out. And, like, fuck, and no one really cares. Yeah, nothing happens. Like, that's, that's what happened with the JFK guy. He did, like, all these years of research and then released a book in the 70s and was like, here we go. The world's going to know the truth. And the world didn't give a shit. Man, depressing. It's so fucking sad. Anyway, I hope we cheered everyone at home up a little bit. A little lighthearted episode about extrajudicial killing by the U.S. government. God, I'm so sad. I'm just going to go sit. I'm going to stay here and be sad now. Thank you. I can't even do anything. Yeah, there's not literally nothing we can do. We just have to, uh, we'll turn our recorders off and then go back to the couches and uh, be sad. <laughs> yeah. What a time to be alive. <sighs> man so that's our episode watch the documentary who killed malcolm x for a lot more 
detail. This podcast yeah. is going to be like an hour long. That documentary is way longer. It's fucking six. And uh, I think it does a really good job of laying out what actually happened to Malcolm X and who was responsible for it, even if they never get to talk to the guy. And uh, I think it's like I like to end these things by by saying if I believe this conspiracy or not. And this one very much this the yeah. I feel like there's more of a conspiracy that we're not even hearing about, but just whatever is presented in this documentary is at at the very least that's all true yeah like what could be the opposing argument yeah like this is what we did in the 60s as a country like we killed progressives and we found really sneaky ways to do it and uh this is another example fuck so that's our episode uh do we have anything to plug before we get out of here just follow my social media I don't know. Do some reading. I don't know. <laughs> Edit Tiff Myers Twitter and Instagram. I don't know, man. I'm fucking sad. Yeah. Wa- wash your hands. Keep an eye on the government. Keep it on the government. Tip your fucking delivery people. Yeah. Yeah. Stop hoarding toilet paper. Leave some for everyone else. Yeah, you fucking psychopaths. All that shit. Uh, and yeah, patreon.com slash unpops. You can get bonus episodes of Conspiracy the Show and help keep this network afloat. Mm-hmm. when you subscribe and i think that's all i got so yep. let's get out of here a tiff say goodbye peace everybody goodbye everybody we love you <laughs>